0: Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. When you come to Christ
1: and you acknowledge that you're a sinner and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that He was crucified, buried, and rose again, and you confess with your mouth, and you call upon the name of the Lord, is that not repentance? What is repentance? Repentance simply means a 180, and about-face, a
0: complete turnabout and change. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Barag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Galatians. So many have the perception that Christianity is just a bunch of taxing rules that we're required to follow but Jesus makes it very clear in Scripture that His burden is light. Pastor J.D. encourages us today to come to Jesus just as we are, and He'll work in our hearts to help us turn from sin and begin to live a life that's pleasing to Him. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now here's Pastor J.D. in Galatians chapter 5 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth.
1: The title that I chose for today's teaching is in the form of a question. I don't do this very often, but this was one of the places in God's Word where I deemed it necessary to ask the question by way of a title, and the question is this, is this of God? Let me take it further and also ask this question in addition. Uh, Not just, is this of God? Are they from God? And that's the question that I'm hoping to answer as we look at this text in verses 1 through 12, as the Apostle Paul turns a corner of sorts in our text today. I like how the book of Galatians is organized. I like how one commentator noted it. He said that chapters 1 and 2 are personal, chapters 3 and 4 are doctrinal, and now chapters 5 and 6 are practical, and certainly this is the case in terms of its application. Maybe I can say it this way for lack of a better way of saying it, it's about to get real. (laughs) The Apostle Paul is going to get real, and we're going to see, true to form, how blunt and harsh he's going to be, and rightfully so. I think I would do well to mention a couple of things that are happening here in this church and in these churches in that region. They were riddled with false teaching, and this false teaching was coming from these Judaizers, as they were called, legalists, if you prefer. And what they were doing was they were creeping into the church, as Paul mentions prior, unaware, stealth, kind of under the radar. And what they were bringing to these churches was this false teaching that Jesus Christ and the finished work on the cross isn't enough. That it's Jesus and, it's Jesus if, it's Jesus when. And it was namely in the requirement of, which for us today is really inconsequential, but what they were doing was saying that when you come to Christ, you also have to be circumcised according to the law. Now again, this is important to understand what was happening, because it will better explain why Paul takes the posture that he takes. What they were doing was, in a sense, blasphemy, because they were saying that the finished work on the cross was inadequate that what Jesus did was insufficient for one's salvation. It explains again why it is that the Apostle Paul is the way he is and why he's so blunt with them, so harsh with them. I mean, he's just in their face concerning this false teaching, and he has to be, rightfully so. He knows what is at stake here. And what I'm so thankful for in our text today is that woven into the fabric of his bluntness and his harshness are some questions that I think we would do well to ask ourselves lest we fall prey to a similar fate. What I want to do in our time together in Galatians is pose five questions in verses 1 through 12 that become for us a litmus test so as to discern whether or not something, or I'll add someone, is of God or not. Please allow me to preface this by sharing this. On the way to church this morning before the uh, prayer meeting, the Lord kind of ministered to my heart how protective he is of his church. This, his church, and us, his people, in this, his church. I was thinking about it in the context of a earthly parent as a father myself and how protective I am of my children, particularly my 10-year-old daughter, who says to me often that I'm too protective, I'm overly uh, protective of her, to which I just say, nobody better mess with you. I will find where they live, <laughs> and uh, they will be in grave danger. <laughs> I'm so protective, right, of my children. How much more is our heavenly Father protective of us? Let me uh, take it further and say this: How protective is God of His church, protecting His church from anything that would pose a threat? or be a danger or harm to his church. This is why the Apostle Paul is doing what he's doing and taking the posture that he's taking. So I say that to say this, I'm protective of this church. As the pastor of this church, it is my privilege to be, I am very protective of this church. And if I hear of anybody that is sneaking in undetected, and that's what they usually do, unaware, under the radar. And they're just, and it's very subtle. It's very insidious. And they'll start kind of talking about things like, you need to be water baptized to really be saved. That's called baptismal regeneration. That's a false teaching, by the way. Or how about this one? This one is in some ways more insidious and it's actually something that I've been dealing with ever since I started presenting the gospel at the end of our prophecy updates. It's this false teaching known as lordship salvation. This one is more insidious because and it's cunning and very subtle because the implication is is that you have to do something before you come to Christ. And we're going to talk about this. See, in these churches there in Galatia, they were taught that, falsely so, that they needed to, after coming to Christ, be circumcised in order to truly be saved. The reason I bring up these two false teachings of baptismal regeneration and lordship salvation is because they are like bookends, on the true gospel of Jesus Christ. The one, Lordship salvation, is a false teaching before you come to Christ, and baptismal regeneration is a false teaching after you come to Christ. you got to admit, Satan's pretty thorough, isn't he? He's got his bases covered, doesn't he? So if you'll allow me, I'll just, again, by way of a preface, uh, share with you an abbreviated version, and maybe this is another topic for another time, but let me explain why it is that these are false teachings, and they have no place in the Word of God, and they certainly should never be given a place in the church of God. And I will just say as a commitment to you, and I hope you know this about me as the pastor of this church, that if I ever hear that anybody is coming into this church and preaching or suggesting or handing out any information, <laughs> well, how do I say this in a sanctified way? We will find you. No, I'm serious. I'm serious. We will find you, and we will find out, because the Lord is very protective over this, this church we call Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. We will handle it very biblically. In Titus, we will warn you once, Warn you twice, the third time, we will have nothing to do with you, and you will be asked to leave this church and never darken the door of this church again. Why? Well, we're going to see why here. This is what Paul is saying. You better cut this out. I wish they would go all the way and emasculate themselves, because a little leaven, just a little bit, allowed to spread, it'll destroy a church. It'll destroy a church. And this is what Paul is saying to those Galatian churches. Very sobering, I realize. Very serious. And it should be. So, let's jump into this. Our first question is in verse 1. Does it create an unbearable burden? Here you get the sense that the Apostle Paul is pleading with the Galatians to not let themselves be burdened again by what he refers to as a yoke of slavery. That's an interesting mention and referring to what we see in Acts chapter 15 verse 10 where we're told that this yoke of slavery was one that nobody was able to bear. Luke is writing, the apostle Peter is speaking, and he asks this question, Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? In other words, you're trying to bring them back under the law, slavery and bondage to the law? No, we're free in Christ. Why would you do that? Why would you want to do that? In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, Jesus also refers to a yoke, but offers his yoke instead, which is not burdensome. Listen to what he says. And maybe this is a word for somebody here today. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and... Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And then he says this, verse 30, very interesting. Listen, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This has served me well in the over 35 years that I've walked with the Lord. I always know it's not the Lord when somebody lays a heavy trip on me. You know, they'll say something to me. Well, I know you're a Christian, but there's always a but there. But have you been water baptized? In other words, you need to be water baptized to be saved. I mean, to be really saved, you have to be water baptized. To which, and here's the answer I give, and you might try this when you're confronted with this horrible false teaching. Okay, you know the two criminals that were on the cross when Jesus was being crucified? One rejects Christ, the other accepts Christ and says, you know, remember me when you enter into your you know kingdom. And what does Jesus say to him? Verily, verily, I say unto you, today you'll be with me in paradise, but you need to figure out how to get off the cross, go get water baptized, get back up here, and then, how absurd is that? How absurd is that? No, of course, they have an answer for that, but it's not biblical. Anytime somebody lays a heavy trip on me and it's this weighty burden, I know it's not the Lord because his burden is light. His yoke is easy. James says that the wisdom from above is easy to be entreated. It's reasonable. God does not put on us anything that we're unable to bear, especially when it comes to us Coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You know, the apostle John seals the deal for me. He says in 1st John 5, 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And listen, his commandments are not burdensome. What does that mean? That means that his commandments are not a got to. They're a get to. Well, How does that work? Oh, remember when Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me? In other words, when you love the Lord, you'll want to obey him, live a life pleasing to him, walk in obedience before him. That's what is not burdensome. It becomes a get-to and not a got-to. This actually ties into our second question of verses 2 and 3, which is that of does it put the onus on me? And this is usually what happens when there's this burden placed on you, and now all of a sudden something is required of you, and that brings into the discussion this whole false teaching of lordship salvation. Let me just explain it simply, again, in an abbreviated uh, way. What is lordship salvation? Lordship salvation teaches that you have to repent before you come to Christ. Wait. What? You mean I have to do something before I come to Christ? Yeah, you have to repent, then come to Christ. I like how one said it. That's like suggesting that you need to clean yourself up before you take a bath. No, you come to Jesus just as you are. And aren't you thankful? (laughs) I know for me, I came to Christ. There was nothing I could do. There was nothing I could bring to the table, so to speak. You know, we talk about how, you know, we gave our lives to Christ. I gave my life to Christ. You know what the greater miracle is? Is that He accepted us when we came to Him and gave our lives to Him. You know, I get a kick out of some people that make it sound like God got a great deal when they came to Christ. You know, it's kind of like, wow, you know, so-and-so got saved. They're going to be mightily used in the kingdom. Well, that's not what my Bible says. My Bible says God chooses the foolish things to confound the wise and the weak, the strong. So God's ways aren't our ways, but I know that when I came to Christ, I am not proud of this. I, I hope you understand this, but I was addicted to drugs and alcohol and tobacco and all kinds of things and And I I just came to Christ just as I was. And uh, he accepted me. And I never looked back. And I could just imagine the heavenly host saying to God, when I gave my life to Christ, don't take this one. This isn't a very good deal. (laughs) I wouldn't touch this one if I were you. Because what was I bringing? What was I bringing to the table of salvation? Nothing. I was bringing my... My sinfulness, my wretchedness, I came just as I was. And here's, here's the other thing with respect to this false teaching, which I pray that you will never be deceived by. When you come to Christ and you acknowledge that you're a sinner and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he was crucified, buried, and rose again, and you confess with your mouth, and you call upon the name of the Lord, is that not repentance? What is repentance? Repentance simply means a 180, an about face, a complete turnabout and change. Are we suggesting, do we have the audacity to suggest that we are the ones who change? No. God changes us for us instead of us, by the power of the Holy Spirit who indwells us. That's the only way we could ever live a holy life, walking in obedience and pleasing and acceptable in the sight of the Lord. Now, I want to connect a dot here, so please stay with me. This explains why Paul says what he says. He says to them basically this, and he makes this very clear in no uncertain terms. He says, if they acquiesce to this legalistic requirement of circumcision, guess what? Christ is of no value to them. God forbid. That's blasphemy, right? Because you know what that says what lordship salvation suggests, what regenerational baptism suggests, the common denominator being that the onus is on me, what it's saying is Jesus didn't have to come and do what he did. What? How do you get there? Well, wait a minute. Jesus became a man, fully God, fully man, and went to the cross and died for us instead of us, paying in full for all of our sins. And that's why he said, it is finished. There's nothing more we can do. We can't add to it. We can't bring anything to the table for it. It's finished. And Christ did it. And I can't take the credit for anything. And that is the epitome of pride. That is pride. It's spiritual pride, and that's the most dangerous pride, is spiritual pride. Well, this is what I call a textbook either-or scenario, and I'll explain what I mean by that. either It's freedom in Christ or a yoke of slavery to the law. It cannot be both. It's either or. If it's the latter, if it's coming back under the law, then the onus of obligation and responsibility is on those under the law to obey the letter of the law. You're bound. You're no longer free. Forget Jesus setting you free and whom the Son has set free is free indeed. You you have gone out from underneath grace and that freedom, and you have placed yourself back under the law in that yoke of slavery to the law, and now you're obligated to keep the whole law. How about that? Here's the third question. It's in verse 4. This is a biggie. Does it distance me from Jesus? Here, Paul explains further that if they choose to be under the yoke of slavery again, they'll end up trying to be justified by the law. And in so doing, here's what's going to happen. They're going to be alienated from Christ. And he even takes it further and says they'll fall from grace. Did you catch that? In other words, you you want to subject yourself again to the yoke of slavery, to the law? Well, guess what happens? You're disenfranchising yourself from Jesus. You're distancing yourself. You're alienating yourself from Jesus. To me, this has to be one of the most, if not the most, telltale signs of whether or not something or someone is of God or not.
0: Thanks for listening today to In Spirit and Truth. We hope Pastor J.D. Farag's message from Galatians has blessed you and that you desire to learn more about Jesus. If you'd like to hear today's message again or other teachings from Pastor J.D., simply visit our website at inspiritandtruthradio.com and click on Listen at the top of the page. You'll also find a link to subscribe to our podcast, or you can download messages to share with your family and friends. Did you know you can also take in spirit and truth with you wherever you go? It's true. Using your Android or Apple smartphone, download our mobile app and have biblically sound messages available right at your fingertips. Links to the app are right on our website. You can find Pastor J.D.'s Mideast Prophecy Update online as well. These weekly updates take a critical look at what's happening in the world today, particularly in the areas talked about in the Bible. Many of the events we see have been prophesied in the Bible. But with all that's going on, how do we know what's real and what isn't? Pastor J.D. takes the time each week to compare world events to biblical passages and gives us a clear picture of where we are. Tune in every Friday and Saturday to hear the latest edition or find it on our mobile app. Visit InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com to learn more. Thanks again for joining us today on In Spirit and Truth. We're so blessed to be a part of your life in this way. We want you to know we pray for you often. Join Pastor JD on the next edition of In Spirit and Truth to keep learning more from the book of Galatians.